The Dale Jr. Download is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. You going to any concerts this summer, man? I am. I'm seeing a concert in June. Hardy and Kit Moore. Love Hardy. In uh, Charlotte. I was so stressed getting the tickets. I'm going to be front row. I'm, gonna, I'm in the pit. When these tickets go out, man, I am online as soon as tickets open i don't want to miss a thing yeah you, you know you gotta act quick yes and when you want the best you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead it's like if you're hiring for a business you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up mm. so what's the best way to do that zip recruiter ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast, and right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. Amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or the neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Dalton, this probably sounds real familiar to you. It does. I just bought a house last year. And, you know, you asked, uh, why can't all this information be in one place? Well, now it is. On homes.com, they've got everything you need to know about the listing itself, but even better. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools. And their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. Homes.com collaboration tools make it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework. What do you think? Did it get up? I mean, of all things to say. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> family picnic sometimes. <laughs> Are you kidding me, Mike? Oh my God, that is hilarious. Hey everybody, it's Dale Jr. back again for another episode of the Dale Jr. Download. And with me as usual is my co-host, Mike Davis. We are not in the in the same place, Mike. Uh, you're at the Dirty Mo Studios, uh, the Bojangle Studios, and I am on vacation uh, with my friend TJ Majors, who is, who is, uh, we're in the same house, but in different rooms. Um, but it's a, uh, it's been a great week and we're going to talk a little bit about Chicago, but we're also going to talk about our vacation, but it's good to see you, Mike. It's good to see you too. And you guys look well, you look rested and relaxed. TJ looks like he's got ears coming out of his head with, uh, I think the lamp is uh, making him look like an extraterrestrial of some sort. But uh, have you guys been having fun? I mean, like, give, give give us just, you don't have to go through the whole week. Just what is uh, some of the fun things y'all been doing? Well, obviously, it's the July 4th uh, holiday. So we saw some fireworks last night with our girls. I think Nicole, my youngest, saw fireworks for the first time. So that was pretty neat. Uh, we took a lot of photos, spent a lot of time in the swimming pool playing uh, with our kids and uh sliding down slides and jumping in and going underwater and you know mine are two and five TJ's are a little older uh so they're various stages of 
of skill level in the swimming pool. And so it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Right on. Well, T- and TJ's behaving. I mean, is he babysitting his kids or did, is he taking a break from that too? TJ, TJ, what's the deal? Yeah, TJ's a good dad. I mean, Mike, I always <laughs> babysit, man. I always, I'm always babysitting, man. You know, I, you know, as, I know you like my lamps up here. I think you mentioned the word Shrek earlier, but I'm really sad that my, you know, I, I feel lost without my donkey, Mike. So, um, you I, know, that's. Uh, I think your donkey's <laughs> Brett. Okay, that's a good point. Yeah, very. That's actually a really good idea. <laughs> do you feel do you feel a little lost without your your donkey? <laughs> no, no. Now I'm I'm perfectly fine without my donkey. <laughs> I saw other people on social media call him a donkey this past week. It's one trending donkey. <laughs> all right, so you're taking vacation. You know, we haven't actually seen each other in a couple of weeks, all of us. So uh, it is good to see you guys. Um, we should also mention that we did drop an episode yesterday. Matt Kenseth uh, was a, a pre-taped interview, and that was a lot of fun. So everybody that's listening to the download today, we're just a little out of order. This is Wednesday. Tuesday, we did our um, ally guest interview with Matt Kenseth. So check that out. Yeah, I was talking to Matt this morning. Uh, I watched the I watched the 1999 race from Nazareth, which Matt won, and I run second. And but there was a little rain delay, and there was a little video of us walking through walking through the pits, back slapping a little bit. And I sent that to him, and uh, was talking to him this morning. But he was awesome as a guest. I'm already starting to see some comments in my timeline about when he's going to race in the car store. So <laughs> I, uh, yeah. We had a lot of fun talking to Matt. That was a that was a great conversation. All right, well, I can't wait to talk to you guys. Uh, I mean, first of all, Dale, I don't know uh, if you were planning on bringing this up, but you made some news this week, and it wasn't at the racetrack. It was uh, I saw you on Fox News uh, about comments you made. I got myself into a little bit of a uh, controversy uh, a couple weeks ago doing uh, during the Indianapolis weekend. Um, I was out there working uh, for NBC for the Indy Five Hundred and did Jeff Gluck's Twelve Questions. It was a ton of fun. If you haven't read it, uh, it's on the athletic. Jeff Gluck does 12 questions all the time. He's been doing it for years, longer than I even realized, and I had a blast, and I felt good about all my answers until uh, I somehow angered the um, the Bluey fans out there. Uh, we are big, we are big uh, you know, watchers of Bluey, and my kids love the cartoon, and it's an Australian uh, New Zealand, I'm not exactly sure exactly where it got created, but it came out of that um, that part of the world. And as TJ knows, and maybe Mike Davis might know as well, I love a lot of things about Australia, and especially uh, V8 supercars and all that. But um, which is also a, you know a good segue to Chicago at some point. But anyhow, I got in trouble because I said. You know, we were watching we're watching Bluey in my house, and Isla sees the dad on Bluey doing all these amazing things with his kids. And every time the kids ask the dad to do something, to pretend, to play a game, obviously in the, in this in this cartoon, he's going to do it, right? And I said, in you know, half joking, that it set an unrealistic expectation because my daughter wants me and to always be available to do all these things. And yeah, well, really. Uh, I got some people that said they agreed and they understood it, but uh, there were certainly some da- uh, some Bluey fans out there that did not like any Bluey slander. But um, I wanted to say the reason why I'm bringing this up, it kind of died, which is probably what I should have I should have left it alone. But um, 
TJ is the bluey dad. TJ, he looks it. No, not in looks. I'm just saying. (laughs) I've been around TJ ever since he became a dad, and every time I'm around him with his own kids and even my kids, TJ is exactly uh, like the bluey dad, and everything the kids want or want to, you know, want him to participate in, he's eager. And uh, even sometimes they don't even ask him. He jumps right in on what they're doing. I wanted to give him a little bit of a, a attaboy. Um, I mean, we're great friends, and we um, we've had we have a lot of fun together. And and don't get to see each other quite as much now because he's working with Brad, and I'm doing what I'm doing with NBC. But um, yeah, I would guess I uh, to 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 put a button on that whole bluey conversation. Um, there is a, there are dads out there that are bluey dads and are like, like minded. Uh, and, and TJ's one of them. I was pretty, uh, <clears throat> always pretty impressed with his, his abilities as a father, but also just with my own kids. I mean, he's great. Um, but we had a, uh, <clears throat> we had, I don't know, TJ's leaving today, but we've had a couple of days in the sun. Uh, we enjoyed the fourth. Um, we ate and, you know, Played with the kids in the pool and went to the beach, and so far it's been pretty smooth. I can't even think of anything. Before TJ got here, though, I did have another um, rat situation, which we talked about on this show before. Um, we live, uh, my beach house is right near the woods or the mangroves or what I don't even know what to call that. So it's like the weeds between the beach and the, and the and the housing development. I think there's a bunch of rats out there, and... Uh, Anytime you leave any food exposed, which typically can happen a lot during the during the holiday weekends, people come off the beach and they throw stuff in the trash cans and they really don't care because uh, they don't have to deal with it. But uh, sometimes they throw open containers and food and stuff in there and the rats come from all over. And so uh, we got to the house a couple, TJ wasn't here when this happened, but we got to the house a couple of days ago and there was a rat in the trap and I was like, okay. It's, I don't like this. Um, cleaning up, cleaning up dead rats, not fun. Um, so I'm cleaning up this rat, and I'm going, I'm going to put it in a bag, going to tie the bag up in a knot, and I'm going to take him out to the corner trash can on the street and throw it away. And uh, I went to throw uh, something away in my trash can that's down in my garage, and there was a live rat in there. So when I went to put the trash in there <laughs> there's a rat in the bottom of the trash can man uh running around in there that was quite uh we did not expect to run into each other that day me or him um so that was uh but we got it all straightened out and when tj came we've been rat free so uh i hope tj's enjoyed his stay here um but otherwise i mean the fourth was pretty simple tj we we watched a golf cart parade we were going to participate in it but we we decided at the last minute not to and just sit on the sidelines and watch and grab the candy out of the street yeah it's pretty cool i think uh it's been a it's been a good trip um definitely uh the watching the parades far more beneficial um for the kids by the amount of candy they get um and you get to see a lot more of the sites so it's pretty cool we had a bucket we brought a sand bucket with us, Mike, and so I'm thinking, you know, okay, going to bring this bucket. Kids are going to pull this candy out of the street. We'll put it all in one bucket, and then we'll split it up. 
And then on the way home, we make the we make the bucket disappear. And so the bucket is right now hiding in the kitchen somewhere. And so far, it's been about 24 hours. None of the kids have asked where the bucket of candy went. Um, I think that Nicole is getting really close. She's starting to look around, and she won't tell me what she's looking for. But I think it's the bucket of candy. Um, but so far, we've. Uh, so that's like a, you know, you ever do that, Mike, with your kids when you're, when you go, uh, you know, you ever tried to hide the candy? They had it from me. That's Where the problem. It? Yeah, <laughs> that's the problem. Hey, can I just say, uh, I, I, I want us to take a screen grab of this because TJ, right where he is, he's going to move as soon as I say it, but he looks like Shrek with those lamps coming out of his head. Look at it. Those look like that. Yeah, look at it. I love this. Mm-hmm. It's a good look. Um <laughs> Look at! I can't get. The, I, I'm distracted. <laughs> look at this. Uh, yeah. Hey, Mike, let me know. Um, like I hear and, you uh, good. Mike. No, I have had the candy uh, situation. <laughs> I have hit it. They have hidden it for me. Halloween is a bad time for the Davises, uh, but I'm glad to see that you guys are showing some uh, self control and some good parenting. Bluey, not with uh, notwithstanding. Um, and I got to be honest. I, I don't want to. I don't want to go back, but I got to be honest. When when you made news with your Bluey stuff, I didn't know what Bluey was. Frankly, I had no really? idea. I did not know. Um, I guess we were past the Bluey thing. When I don't know, um, yeah. but uh, I did go back and look what Bluey was, and it made me want to go to Fox News and make a comment. I didn't because you don't really need your people going and, and stirring up stuff in the um, in the. Uh, comment sections of places, but what kind of slow news day do you have to have for that to become <laughs> a news item? Like what yeah. in the hell uh, to Fox news? Like I literally, what in the hell who took the time? I try to defend media. I try, I'm all about free media and now I'm all about the, the uh, rights to do all that. stuff. But my God, that was pathetic. Um, I think it's a bigger news story that your kids can't find the candy, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully, yeah, yeah do something fun. about it. Hey, just tell I Brett. Fix Brett will do it. Are you happy or sad that you're not standing by <laughs> Brett right now, TJ? Uh, I am very, very, very happy that I'm not standing next to Brett. <laughs> I, I don't know why. Well, I mean, like. Well, first of all, first of all, I saw him eat a piece of pizza with pickles on it, which I thought was completely disgusting during the show um, on Monday. And, you know, it, and not. Uh, Twice over the weekend, I heard Brett was trending. So that's usually probably, I don't know if I've ever known that to be a good thing. That was unfortunate. Se- uh, several days for Brett. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're trending, you've either said something stupid or you're dead. And I'm not sure which one it was. Uh, I think, I think, uh, Brett's still uh, Brett alive, was, so that tells you. <laughs> yeah, he's still alive. I guess, yeah, I guess you're right. Uh, anyways, uh, I just wanted to see what Brett, uh, what TJ looks like without his, uh, without his wingman. Yeah. <laughs> anyway uh, yeah i'm uh i'm in better shape yeah you look it with the uh the lamp ears and everything he's not um, he's, he's gonna want to stay on the, he's gonna want to stay mm-hmm. on this show um well he was he started out on this show this is did, actually yeah. a return you know tj yeah. was back in the uh og days when when me taylor zarza were doing it tj was a regular on the download so it, this is just him coming back home oh yeah taylor and his dukes of hazard yeah. sound yeah. Remember that when he yelled yeah. that one time? <laughs>
NASCAR history and heritage come alive at the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Celebrate my fellow inductees Donnie Allison, Jimmy Johnson, and Chad Knauss with their class of 2024 artifacts enshrined in the Hall of Honor. Don't miss the Ford Performance Showcase. It's a new inside NASCAR exhibit that showcases the Ford Mustang's next-gen car through its design and innovation. The latest edition of Glory Road explores over 75 years of racing history with its cool 33-degree banking and 19 cars on display. On Mondays and Fridays, there's guided tours that take you behind the scenes with incredible stories and access to a NASCAR Hall of Fame insider. Or you can explore the hall at your own pace with the new mobile hub. It's a digital experience. Get behind the wheel of a realistic iRacing simulator. Or you can learn how fast-paced pit stops work with the Pit Crew Challenge. From the legends who shaped the sport to the new heroes earning a spot in the record books, the NASCAR Hall of Fame delivers an unforgettable experience. Book your visit to the hall today at nascarhall.com. The Dale Jr. Download is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. You going to any concerts this summer, man? I am. I'm seeing a concert in June. Hardy and Kit Moore. Love Hardy. In uh, Charlotte. I was so stressed getting the tickets. I'm going to be front row. I'm, I'm in the pit. When these tickets go out, man, I am online as soon as tickets open i don't want to miss a thing yeah you, you know you gotta act quick yes and when you want the best you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead it's like if you're hiring for a business you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up mm. so what's the best way to do that zip recruiter ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast, and right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. Amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Well, let's talk about <laughs> Chicago. Um, you know, I know that... Uh, it's time to move on to Atlanta. I'm already starting to get all my information from our stats guys and getting prepared for, uh, for what we're going to see there. Um, but, uh, I'll be honest with you, man. I wasn't, when they announced this race, I wasn't, um, I wasn't sure about it. Didn't know whether it was going to be successful or not. Um, all of the, most of the media that I would stumble across was not advocating for the race. Um, there was a lot of mixed signals and messages um, about whether people wanted the race to happen or not. Um, and then about a month before the race happened, the um, NBC sent me and some of my coworkers out to uh, Chicago. The race, you know, track obviously there's no track; it's just the streets. And but we got to meet Julie, who was head of um, she's like track president, right? It's kind of weird uh, having a track president of a track that doesn't exist every single day of the year, but she was the president of operations for everything Chicago street course. And she took us around, um, not only showing us physically where the track would be, but we also got to talk to her quite a bit about all the efforts that she's, she had went through the meetings that she had had with, with, uh, with groups in Chicago. Just, she met with every possible organization, um, 
group, anybody that needed to be, you know, to have a conversation with her about this racetrack and, and the, it helped me understand the effort and monumental undertaking that was happening to get this, this, this track put together, not physically, not only physically, but like all of the agreements and, and, and legal work and red tape and paperwork and amendments and compromises. I, I, I think that it's a, it's a, it's a documentary in, in, you know, in the waiting. Uh, so I was just really amazed by it. I, I, it changed that day being out there and talking to her and spending the, spending the afternoon thinking about the possibilities for that weekend changed my mind immediately. And from that moment forward, I had nothing but a positive mental attitude about what this weekend could be. And then, um, when you set, when you, when you get to Chicago, you know, and you set foot on the racetrack, we luckily had a hotel that was right at turn seven. So we could walk out of the hotel front door, take, you know, 30 steps and be on the racetrack. And so the, having that proximity to the track was really convenient. And when you walked out there and you saw the walls, the barriers, of course, we're seeing this stuff on social media, but man, when you were, when you got your feet on the ground and you're there in the moment and you're looking down that, that front straightaway, I did a bunch of Instagram story stuff, just kind of take, as I was sort of taking the whole thing in, it was incredible. Um, man, it felt amazing. And, that was on, you know, Friday, that was on Thursday afternoon. And so I could not wait. As soon as I got there and I was standing there and looking at the barriers and the fence and the, the garages and all the infrastructure, infrastructure that had been brought in, watch, uh, looking at the haulers and everybody meandering about and the industry just sort of, you know, coming in and taking over. I could not wait to hear a, a race car, right? Haul, you know, haul ass down a straightaway into a braking zone and downshift. I could not wait for that to happen. And so they put me in turn four, which is at the very other end of the racetrack from the start finish line. So I'm, I'm very, I'm kind of removed physically and, and, um, a bit mentally from the core nucleus of the track. So I'm not near the garage. I'm not near start finish line where all the hustle and bustle is. I'm sort of way out here on an Island. It's, you know, on my end of the track, it's quiet. There's some people meandering about, but I'm really on the fringes. And so there was this party bus that the NASCAR had set up next to my perch in turn four. And there were a lot of people on that that I believe were at their first event ever. And so I'm standing there on my perch. And finally, for the first practice, I can hear these race cars off in the distance going up through the gears, the sounds getting closer and closer and closer until until this car comes into view. And I believe the first car on the racetrack might've been Justin Algar. And he, um, it might've been him. I think it was, but, uh, it comes rolling through turn four and just seeing a stock car on the street course was, Seeing that for the very first time was really cool. Um, 
I'm a massive history buff. I love the details of our sport and the and the and the nuances and stories. And this was a moment where I was living it. And so I look over to this perch or look over to this sort of party bus double decker thing going on and all those people are perking up and running over to the fence trying to get as close as they can and that sort of that 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 attitude or that excitement and that you know curiosity and thrill really was the you know really was the sort of um method of the weekend i think all of us even me having been around the sport and seen and done everything i walked around that whole place the entire time in in amazement curious wondering what was around the next corner because everything we were all seeing it for the first time and so um i'm gonna tell you man i was um i don't even i i'm not i the race itself, like the Xfinity race, obviously that was unfortunate. Nobody loves to see that happen the way it did. I don't know what, you know, I'm, NASCAR could have done a number of different things to, to try to try to have a different outcome, but um, I don't know that it affected, the you know, the race all that much. And there was too much on the line. There was, you know, the, the everything that was at stake for NASCAR, the Cup Series, the city, all the planning and efforts and everything that went into that, nothing was going to be, nothing was going to sacrifice that, right? Nothing was going to get in the way of that. And unfortunately, um, you know, unprecedented things had to happen in terms of what went on with the Xfinity race. And um, Well, can we know. talk about that for a second? I want to yeah. slow down here. Yeah. All right, listen, first of all, um, the, the Xfinity race ended before halfway. Um, the weather was an issue all weekend. Mm-hmm. So did you agree with ending it where it was, or did you think that they should have gone a couple more laps? We all were, well, we were all debating that. Um, if, you know, you're thinking, I'm sitting there thinking, do you know, no way should they fire the cars up, have them circle around the track knowingly to pull them back into the garage and say, Oh, well, we tried and it's halfway it's official. So there you go. There's your race. I, I almost feel like that that would have been the, you know, I almost feel like that that would have been the wrong thing to do, even though that would have checked all of the boxes per protocol. You would have only been doing that not in an effort to truly get the race going again. You would have only done that to be able to satisfy the requirements, right, to get an official race, would have, which would have, why do that? if your intention was to, to, to not really ever get that race finished, um, don't even fire them up and have them circle around and do all that for nothing. You know, um, I know that there's, you know, some teams and, and owners that would have, that have some great ideas on what could have been done differently. And I don't disagree with that. Um, and maybe they should have, you know, not even been there, right. They could have called the race the day before. Um, but I think NASCAR wanted to see if the weather would turn and they could get that race done in the morning. That was, you know, they don't know what's going to happen the next day. And, um, you know, everybody was in a difficult position in terms of making sure, you know, if we had good clear weather on the back end of the afternoon for the cup race that 
and they had to get the track cup ready, which I don't know what all the, I don't know what that really means, but you would think that they could run a race, flip it and start another one, but you've got to pull all the pits down, all the pit boxes got to come down, they got to move everybody's got to be able to get all of their stuff out of this street course. There's no tunnels, there's no, you know, the the haulers and everything's outside of the racetrack. All that stuff has to sort of be interchanged uh and allowing the cup guys to bring in their equipment. I I'm sure there was some good points and reasons why they needed that, you know, a good blo- a good block of time to be able to get this racetrack and this F- this this or, you know, this this event ready to go for the cup series. PJ, uh-huh. what was the conversation like on the radios? Um, kind of up and down there for a while. We walked in and it was a monsoon on the way in and they were still going to try to get the Xfinity cars out there to do something and you know, if you, I was on the front side of the track, right on the front stretch. So the amount of water that was standing on pit road, there was a lot of adjustments going on to the track. I'm trying to drain water. NASCAR was working super hard at trying to make the racing surface, um, you know, raceable. But at the end, you know, the, the time just ran out to get an actual anything going. And it was, it was definitely just still raining too hard to do anything with it, but there was a ton of water standing on pit road. And I, I think it was the, I think they made the right call because to get all, they had all the Xfinity stuff out there. They had to get all that off there and even work on that area to get it raceable. And cup guys had to get all their stuff out there if we were going to try to go green. So I think they made the right call with the Xfinity stuff and they did. I mean, they definitely, no one predicted a record amount of rainfall. Every forecast I saw never said anything about a record amount of rainfall going to happen that morning, you know? So I, I think it just, they were throwing a curveball, and, you know, I think they did everything they could do to, to make a race happen. And um, it was wet. I, I think it was more than a curveball. They, they were got, they got one of those Phil Necro knuckleballs that dance and, and Bob, I mean, listen, I'm going to say this. Anybody that wants to scrutinize NASCAR can just go take it somewhere else because, frankly, they should be commended not just for I, – I have no problem with that, that call. Would I like to see it gone halfway? Of course. But with, with what they had all weekend, I was just very appreciative that they don't listen to the social media noise and, the, and, you know, and, and, and even us, our opinions. We're always going to bark opinions. NASCAR did a fantastic job this weekend. They should be commended. Um, and, and that just – the fact that we got those races even on the track, I was just like, you know what? To scrutinize any deeper, we could we could go nitpick, but you know what? There, there's no reason to nitpick in this case. They got dealt the weather blow. It, it was not just weather. It was biblical rain, and they were able to make it happen. Mike, I wish you could have been – I wish you could have been on the front stretch because I know where he was kind of down the other end. There wasn't as much activity, but that front stretch – the vibe that was there was incredible. The people that were watching the race, like he said, when we went green, it was, I don't, I mean, it was excitement from another level that I've witnessed in a long time. And it was just the first time fans, man, there was kids there jumping up on the railing. Like these cars are going by and man, they were amazed. So I don't know, like, and like he's like you know how you walk into a football stadium for the first like you, even if you haven't been there right you know you walk out that tunnel and you see the field for the first time it's just like wow man this is really cool that's what the place looked like man that's the feeling i got when i walked inside of that track and it, it was like 
holy cow, this is really cool. And um, just the the vibe was something that I really haven't felt at a racetrack like that in a, in a long time. And just the music that was playing, the people were into it. And I mean, I, these people, it was pouring rain. I mean, it, it was raining harder than I've seen it rain in a long time. And these people were still there. And as soon as that rain quit, it was like a light switch, man. They were filing in and ready to go. So, I mean, it, to me, it's a home run for everything that they did with this track and getting the people interested and and the the vibe walk around the city getting on elevators people hey you here for the race yeah we are too man this is awesome everybody super pumped about it so i i mean i i had had a blast i was down at my perch for the xfinity race and talked to some fans down there that were at their very first event they said that they weren't nascar fans but when they heard it was coming to their city they wanted to go check it out. They're sports fans. They, you know, they want to see what's going on in their city. And so they told me, they said, look, I, I would have never watched a NASCAR race. I would never come to an event, but you brought it to me. And I thought that was really fascinating. So, you know, we do build racetracks, right? We're not, it's not, un, you know, it's not a new thing for us to build a racetrack somewhere, but for the longest time, it's been difficult for the sport to get, in metropolitan or large large cities because of you know property values and all this stuff. so we build these racetracks you know 30 45 minutes an hour away uh for example atlanta right is in hampton it's you know what half hour 30 minutes from the city from downtown atlanta that's sort of been acceptable and and just the way things are because uh, uh that's how it's always been done but these people are like man y'all brought the sport to my backyard and I, I didn't have a choice. I had to come check this out and see what this was. And now that I'm here, it's, 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 an, it's fun. It's incredible. I'm having a great time. And I can truly see myself traveling to another venue and going to check out NASCAR somewhere else, right? Mm. Yeah. And so, good man, I mean, and then, you know, to hear that and then see the, the TV numbers, and that TV number I think was – more than anybody even anticipated. We thought it'd be more. You got, you know, uh, Gisbergen running up front and winning the race, so you certainly have more people on New Zealand and Australia and that part of the world tuning in. But the number that we got from television was, um, I think, pretty surprising, but also um, exciting. All of those things absolutely make me believe that if NASCAR could have more than one street course next year, they would like that. This, this, this accomplishes the growth and the increase uh, physically and through uh, viewership that there, that anybody's looking for, right? Any sport, any, any, so, you know, I don't, I don't know whether we go back to Chicago. Uh, that, that I think any street course anywhere is going to be just as challenging as Chicago was now that NASCAR knows the lay of the land and the, and the process of getting the race track put together and getting in there and they've got the relationship with the city. Maybe they go back and do this again, trying to, you know, get some great weather and really get that crowd they're looking for and really make the impact that they hope to make this year. Um, I think it's worth another try, but I also think I also am curious, like where else, what other cities where where's the next one? Because street courses, if you know, does 
whether we like it or whether we love it or whether we don't like it, you can't deny the viewership and that network TV number is going to drive NASCAR to do this more often and, and, and at other places. Cause you know, the Chicago street course is, uh, um, you know, the, the first time's always going to be different, right? And every time you do it after that, it's going to, you know, it's going to normalize and sort of mold itself into the fabric of the sport. So NASCAR is always going to be looking for the next brand new thing, right? The, where is the next city or the next place that can be exciting to have a street course that will give us that pop that that first Chicago race did? And so um, I guess that's my curiosity now is 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 who who will who will NASCAR start those conversations with? What city officials are, are next on the agenda in terms of where NASCAR would love to go? Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the TV number, Dale, because um, I saw you retweet that. And it's, it's worth mentioning here for anybody that didn't catch it. it this was 4.795. So 4.8 million people watched it. It's the most NBC Sports most watched NASCAR race in six years. That literally defies uh, all thinking in the fact that it was rain delayed. It was uh, problematic. And yet my question to you is, was it the excitement of a street course? Was it the prospect of a, a of a guy from Australia coming over and just the prospect of winning? What what? Why four point eight million people? Well, Shane being in the race certainly drew a lot of folks tuning in from his you know his part of the his part of the world from from where he where he races and where he's famous. I mean, he's this guy's super famous over in Australia with V eight supercars and in New Zealand. You that certainly made a difference, but anytime NASCAR does anything brand new, the next gen car, when the next gen car ran its first race, there was a there was a pretty su- substantial ratings pop that comes from this brand new car. Everybody's going to tune in and go, "Oh, what's this brand new car going to race like? It's it's going to be completely different." Um, and so I think I think everyone was just like I was. For the most part, I'm going to watch this because it's brand new and it's never been done before. And I don't know whether I'm going to see something great or something not so great, but I'm tuning in to find out. And we ended up having a pretty spectacular sort of, you know, upset win. I don't know if that's the right word because Shane's a very talented and and, and capable uh, driver, uh, more than capable. But it was Cinderella, whatever, you know, it was just a great story. Uh, and, you know, I think that you got to have those in sports. And, and it was, you know, that, that part alone was pretty, pretty magnificent. But, um, you know, I think that everybody was just tuning in to see exactly what, what was this going to be like and how was this going to, you know, how entertaining would it be? And I, I think everybody found it to be pretty, pretty entertaining, to be honest with you. I mean, and just watching the drivers do something they've never done before. I think that our sport is at its best when the drivers in the cars are challenged to the max, you know, putting them out there on wet tires for the first time, watching them deal with, uh, any kind of a new challenge that they rarely or never faced. That's when I'm most intrigued. That's when my eyeballs are glued to the racetrack or glued to the, to the, to the, to the product. 
And so I think this, uh, this weekend was all about, you know, seeing the drivers try to climb a mountain they've never, they've never seen before. Yeah. Uh, Did you hear what Chase Elliott said after the race about, uh, he's going to go back to Australia and tell his friends how bad we are. How how much truth do you think is in that statement? I haven't known a lot of guys in V8 supercars for years that, you know, V8 supercars is the closest thing in any form of motorsport that, uh, to NASCAR. So their car, especially with the next gen and, and Steve O'Donnell said, look, the next gen was kind of based off of the V8 supercar. And when you look at the chassis and components and all that, it's all very, very similar. They run on a different tire, of course. Um, the, you know, there's a couple things that are unique, but honestly, if you're coming at, you know, what what is the most similar to NASCAR? I'd say it's V8 Supercar, and and so it's not surprising for any of those guys to get in our cars and adapt really quickly. Uh, but we also saw Marcus Ambrose come over here and adapt right away and be competitive right away, even on the ovals. And so I know just how good the V8 supercar racers are. They, um, they are so competitive with each other. They push each other to these, un, un, you know, unrealistic extremes. If you, you know, if you get a chance to catch, you know, some of the battles they have, uh, they have in that series, you'll be impressed by, you know, not only the gentlemanship and, and how clean they race each other, but also at the same time, it's very aggressive and, and they just really push each other to, uh, you know, raise the, you know, they raise the bar and then take a look at Bathurst, the racetrack where they run, uh, the Bathurst 1000. This is the most terrifying, intimidating race course in the world. There's no question about it. Me and TJ (laughs) drove, drove around in a rental car, but you know, that to them though is what they want. They want that. They want to be challenged to this sort of insane extreme. And there's a unique sort of mentality of uh, Australians and New Zealands to push themselves into these very uncomfortable, dangerous scenarios, right? Uh, in motorsports, they just, you know, they, they're, they're, they're very brave people, very proud people. Um, and so uh, their, that mentality sort of works perfectly in racing and in motorsports. And so uh, his, I think Shane commented that anybody in the top 10 in V8 supercar could come over here and do what he did. I agree with that. I think you could put any of the top 10, the best top 10 V8 supercar drivers in that 91 car in that street course race and have the same result. Because in that street course race, that was probably as level as the playing field would ever be for anybody coming into NASCAR. Because our drivers had never ran on a street course. No team had ever ran a lap on this on this track. They had no data. And so that was as level as it will ever be. And so I don't know that Shane goes to Watkins Glen and has it that easy. I don't know that he goes to Sonoma and can, you know, outrun our boys uh, like he did at the Chicago street course race. I'd love to see what would happen if we would take him and put him at one of the tracks that we go to every year where our guys had experience and data. And that'd be a little bit more difficult, more challenging, I believe. But, uh, you know, I don't mind them 
basking in the light a little bit and enjoying the success and enjoying the win and, and, and being proud of where they're from and proud of their discipline, proud, proud of V8 supercars. And Paul Morris is a great advocate for, um, uh, you know, being, you know, Paul has always sort of, you know, made a, you know made a lot of great points and debated some of the decision making and so forth in their own industry over the past i've seen you know him debate some of the technical changes and advances in the sport in terms of paddle shifting and so forth and um i uh you know and i don't disagree with what he's saying about the license and the protocols in place that would make it difficult for a nascar driver to come run a race with them you know it was it was irony and, and and sarcasm in his in his comments at how easy it was for Shane to come race with us and how maybe challenging it might be for a cup guy to go over there. And the unique thing is is that the the schedules actually work out right because they race when we're our season's off. They're in the middle of their season, um, and so the schedule actually works in favor for us to have a lot of crossover. But um, yeah, I I'm also got to tip the cap to Justin Marks. Um, I don't know how he does it, but this guy has brought a lot of new innovation and thinking into our sport. Uh, he continues to, um, you know, they said they want to come in and disrupt things, but he does that in a positive way. You know, he shakes things up and he's changing sort of the culture and the mentality and the approach to being an owner and what an owner is and what an owner can do. And that project 91 deal has paid, paid off, you know, that, that, that project 91, program that he developed that everybody thought yeah that's a cool idea that's neat we're going to see some you know we're going to see some unusual names in that car come to the racetrack and compete with us well it finally paid off and and accomplished his intentions by disrupting you know one of the biggest moments in in our year you know this was a massive moment for nascar and his progress you know his car goes out there with a with a uh, inter, you know, international driver and wins the race. So, yeah. Pretty, you mentioned, pretty- listen, you mentioned how the, the equal playing field and how it was set up perfect for a VA supercar driver to come in because of the equal playing field and the first time that they've ever been on a road course. I would go so far as to say nobody's taking advantage of the parody of the sport and those moments of parody than Justin Marks and Trackhouse. You think about when he was on our show and he was saying, oh, when I saw that they were going to go to a new car, I said, I know this car. This is this is the car I know and nobody else is going to know it like I do. And so this is the time for Trackhouse to go in there, get their charter and, and go racing because of the parody. And they took advantage of the parody. Same thing happened this past weekend in Chicago. The parody, the equal, the unfamiliarity, whatever you want to call it in the sport out of the ceiling tiles shot drops track house who goes in and steals the show. It was a, it, it was the, the perfect metaphor of over of the overall big um, success story that track house has had so far. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that, you know, I, I just, you know, been so impressed by track house and, and what Justin's been able to do. And in a short period of time, I mean, that teams typically take, years to develop and gel and improve and get to a certain level where they can compete, but they came in. I mean, it, I know that they bought Ganassi and it's tip it's technically that, that very team that's been in this sport for, for over, you know, for decades, 
but uh, the transition to the next gen and and uh, all the things that he's done to sort of evolve that team into his own vision has been pretty remarkable. Um, I you know I think that you know to go back to Chicago um, for me I enjoyed I enjoyed the race I enjoyed working the race. Um, radio style broadcasting for me isn't really what I think I'm the best at, but, uh, you know, if that's what they need me to do, that's what I'll do. But, um, I, I kind of prefer being in the booth myself, but, um, overall, like, you know, there were some things that were, um, there were some things that you had to embrace that were unique to that particular event and TJ will understand this, like, you know, at a race, you know, at, at, at most of our facilities, right. We hop on a golf cart and zip wherever we need to go. Um, but at this particular track, you, you didn't have that convenience. So I think all of us probably walked anywhere from six to 10 miles throughout the weekend to get where we needed to go. And, um, you know, so there were some unique things about it. I didn't really, if you know that, you're, you know, that's going to be different going into the weekend. You can embrace it and actually enjoy, you know, just kind of walking around sightseeing and being curious. But, uh, you know, we walked the racetrack a couple days in a row with the drivers. We've never done that before. Uh, that was so much fun. So the drivers would go out in the morning at seven, eight o'clock in the morning and start walking the racetrack with their crew chief and a couple of their crew members. And I walked the opposite direction so that I could run into everybody and, uh, be able to ask questions. You know, I'd, I'd run into a driver and turn around and walk, to, walk, walk with him for a hundred yards and then turn, you know, take off back in the opposite direction and run into another driver and talk to them a little bit. And that was a lot of fun. Um, that was probably one of my favorite parts of the weekend was just being out there kind of walking around. Uh, Jeff Burton took us for a pace car ride and scared the hell out of us. It had me in the passenger seat, Jeff Burton in the back or Ward Burton in the back seat and Ward in the back. Wow. That's fun. Ward was in the back seat. I hopped in the car and I looked back there and there he was. And, um, it was a, uh, we had never been, nobody had ever been on the track. We pull out on the racetrack and we're taking the first fast laps of anyone. And uh, Jeff's like driving like a crazy man and it's wet, you know. And so uh, that was, that was, that was a little scary, but um, he's laughing over there and giggling because he's got me and Ward uh, in that car and we can't get out. <laughs> but, uh, Jeez. Yeah, that's but fun. Was, uh, yeah, I mean it was a good weekend. I'm, I enjoyed hey, it. The, quick question though, uh, going back, you were talking about the radio style broadcast. Were you just be honest? Were you losing your mind with that audio issue at the start of the race? I mean, because your mic wasn't working, something was going on, um, and I just did. I was curious if you were pissed or if you were just like they'll figure it out when they figure it out. Yeah. So, uh, like TJ said, the rain was torrential. Uh, rain and it was uh, even if you covered stuff up it got wet and so yeah. it was incredible just so much hard rain so on my perch I've got a TV monitor I got a button box basically that puts me on air and takes me off air so I got when I'm going to talk I got to hit this button to hit to open my mic up 
and then I shut the mic off when I'm done so that, you know, the TV's not picking up all these audible sounds that's going on around me. And so, um, or anything I might be, you know, just accidentally say or ask somebody next to me. And so, um, anyways, that box went out, that box got wet and somehow it was working right. But like I said, the, the new, the box that they were going to replace it with was a mile away and somebody had to bring it on foot. And so, yeah. And so, you know, the race, I, I, I can kind of hear audio a little bit. So, um, I knew the race was starting without me and, uh, you know, the box will get here when it gets here and they'll fix it. And, and I mean, nothing I did, so I don't have any guilt or any, any issue. You know, I I would like to be on, you know, I wish it was working, but it's not. And so when they get here and they fix it, I just stay out of the way They're The people that are trying to fix this stuff are, uh, you know, they work for NBC and the production team and they have the hardest job as it is, you know, much less when stuff breaks and they got to run around, scramble to try to fix. Um, so I was, I, you just get out of their way, let them handle it, let them fix it, try to be, you know, try to help when you can. Eventually they get the box back and, and get a new box in there and it fired right up and I'm sitting there work. Everything's working and I'm ready to go, but they're going to wait till we go to break and then bring me in on the next segment, right? And say, Hey, Dale's stuff's fixed. He's all, he's now part of the show. And so that's what you do. But I got you. yeah, I mean, it was, um, you know, Burton had issues when we first got in our purchase for practice, you know, stuff wasn't quite working right. Cameras weren't working. Things just don't work. You know, you, you, they set it up and you hope for the best, but that was all new. Uh, I mean, running the cables and wires to get all that stuff out there, miles and miles of cables. Uh, and sometimes that stuff just doesn't work like it's supposed to. Well, it's no better time to come in the, the whole broadcast team, the production Man, sure. Again, what what an amazing job because the broadcast actually was quite entertaining and enjoyable, um, not without its hiccups, but it didn't detract from the overall experience of watching that race. And that's kudos to you guys at NBC. Yeah, I was wondering, like we kept getting I kept seeing comments about like how none of us were pronouncing Shane Van Gisbergen's name right. <laughs> and I'm like, well. That's got to be impossible because I think we're all doing it differently. So certainly someone's getting it right. Um, and I thought that was so funny. People are so particular, uh, you know, about those little details. And you know, I don't know, I, you know, I I thought I was doing the best, but yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You tell me. I wish <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. Well, we know it so, wasn't Jeff. Jeff, Jeff, like. Jeff, like, shorted out, you know, at one point. <laughs> he got water yeah, in his Burton, mic. Burton, like, stumbled and just locked up, right, and just quit talking all together. But the funny thing is, is that we sound such a – we sound so alike to a lot of people that people thought it was me. And um, so for – so you know, for to Jeff's credit or for his sake – He's only going to get half the blame for that one because I'll get the other half. Anytime either one of us screws up, we kind of get late, we kind of get off the hook because they think it was the other one, you know. Yeah. But uh, SVG seemed like the way to go. Uh, if if I had been up there, I I'm just going to call him by the initials. Way. I thought that was 
the lazy way to do it. Yeah. Well, he's thank, he thank introduced you. it in the pre-race, so I was going to go with what he said. He has it on his uniform. I know, but Steve even couldn't get that right, talking about SVJ. <laughs> I'm like, goodness gracious. But, you know, when you're when – you're, when you're human, you're flawed and you're imperfect and you're going to make those mistakes. Right. And you're just got to own it. And man, when I first started broadcasting stuff like that would, would make me feel like a failure. And I'd be, I'd take it so personal and I'd feel so terrible about the job I did. And, uh, but you know, it is what it is. If they don't, if they don't want me to come back next week, they'll let me know. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, I I would not, I almost, and I, I think, Others agree with me. I, I would rather hear you mispronounce the name. I really would. I, I would rather you mispronounce it. I, that is the, and I don't think anybody were giving y'all crap, like from a yeah. literal standpoint, like how could you? I think yeah. everybody was just having fun with it. But uh, yeah. that name right there was born from mispronunciations. All right, right there. But, you don't name it. That, that, that last name right there has not been pronounced right yet. So I got, go wrong I, got with a, it. I got to tell you too, while the race is happening, while it's going on, Paul Morris is texting me and he's watching it at home in Australia. And he's, he's telling, so Paul's texting me during practice. We started showing some of Van, uh, Gisbergen's uh, uh, heel and toe method, right? With the, with the brake pedals. And so <clears> top <throat> Paul's texting me about it. And, and I'm like, yeah, man, you know, so Paul made this YouTube video a couple years ago talking about how they use the clutch pedal to change the balance of the car and, um, you know, get the car loose and all that stuff and, uh, turn, help the car turn. It's, you know, they, they use the clutch for more than just shifting gears. It's really, really incredible. And so, um, knowing that he was the only guy out there doing it, it's like having a, an, a sixth sense mm. where, it's an advantage, you know, and he's the only one with that advantage. And when Kyle Larson heard that's what he was doing, Kyle Larson said, man, if that's what you've got to do to drive a V8 supercar fast, I'll never go, I'll never be driving one because I don't know how to do that, right? And so Paul's texting me going, yeah, he's doing it because of this. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, Paul, I remember you making that video. It's also, it also affects the balance of the car, right? And I'm getting all this information, and then I would just use it on air right then. I'd just hit the button and go, hey, here's what's happening. This is why he's doing it. And during the race, um, Paul's like, hey, man, call him the Giz. Uh, that's his name. That's his, that's his sort of a nickname. And I'm like, oh, boy, I hope that's right, you know? <laughs> And so, I mean, you know, I used that after the race. I, they asked, you know, they came to us on camera and, and said, you know, to get our final thoughts. And I used that nickname, right? So throughout the race, Paul's giving me these little buttons to to, to say these little things and, and, and comments. Uh, like, you, you know, him winning the Bathurst 1,000 three times. That's their premier event. That's like the biggest, most respected, admired, and you know, revered race in Australian uh, motorsports. And so, you know, being able to drop in these like factoids and, and, and comments and notes about Shane while he's out there doing his thing was really fun for me. And I had that going on live from, I'm standing on my perch with my phone out and just getting text after text from Paul. And, you know, I just wanted to do a good job, uh, to share how much pride they had for him and how much, you know, 
how how much was on the how much was at stake, right, for Shane back home in his own country. How many people were tuning in? Paul's texting me going, every motorsports fan in this country is watching this race right now. I can promise mm. you that. And so, you know, that that's stuff that you got you just if you don't know it or don't hear that or don't get that text, you don't think about it. You're just like, man, I'm living in this NASCAR bubble right here in the middle of Chicago. But you had to think about it like there's a whole world out there, especially in New Zealand and Australia, that are glued to everything going on right now mm. and and pulling for one guy, right? And so uh, it's, you know, it's pretty cool. But um, that was fun. That I mean, I enjoyed the broadcast. And uh, Justin Marks, of course, he won the race, so he's happy. He liked the call that I had on the crossover move on the back, uh, the racetrack over there. They, You know, Shane takes the lead from – um, Justin, uh, on that little series of corners that I was calling the race. And, uh, so that was cool to get a text from him about that. And uh, it was sick. It, Justin Haley made that crossover move. That was kind of sick to be honest with you. Um, yeah. and the fact that they didn't touch is amazing. They, like they that's literally what, did all that clean. Yeah. That's what Paul kept telling me. He's like, watch him. He's going to drive through the field and he won't touch anybody. And then when the race is over, Paul goes, look, he passed them all, ran through the field, and didn't put a bumper on anybody. So they pride themselves, like, on not only kicking your ass, but doing it doing it clean and, like, almost demoralizing you, but without having to be, you know, physical in any way, right? And so uh, while super, you know, while supercar racing, it there is pushing and shoving, and they do get, you know, they do beat and bang a little bit, which is why I really like it, because of you know, the parts come flying off the cars and they just keep on digging. But, uh, you know, he, he did, he, he did it the right way. And I think that that was the only way he was willing to do it. Which I would then say that going back to Chase Elliott's comment, I don't think the, the feedback is how bad we are. I think the, the, the general message is how good they are. They yeah. are good. Everything yeah, you said are. about the clutch, everything you're saying about Bathurst, everything you're saying about how they can do that clean. That's how good they are. I'm impressed. Yeah. It's an, it's incredible. I would encourage people to like, you know, check out V8 supercars. Uh, and, and I think once you watch that, you'll see, you know, you know, what, what makes Shane so good. Right. And, and it's pretty incredible racing and, uh, probably my, obviously I think it's my second favorite form outside of stock car racing. What, you know, what I grew up doing, grew up around, but, um, so I think we all agree, right. Street racing is good. We want to see some more. Um, if it's Chicago, that's great. Um, but where, where, you know, we're, we're all curious as to where that might happen, where we might go next. Yeah, Mike, I saw I saw something on a on a social media deal from a Chicago native that said once something is brought to Chicago or if it's born there, the people kind of mm. adopt it and it becomes theirs mm. and they push for it and pull for it. So. I don't know if that's going to happen with Chicago, but that's something that I read from a person that said they lived in Chicago. It's like once we get something here, we we start something, we don't want to lose yeah. it. So I don't know if that's going to happen with there, but from the reaction of what I saw from people there, I could see that happening. I yeah. could see people wanting it to go back, especially with great weather. Yeah, I can't that's even imagine an interesting that point. I'm glad you said that, TJ, because so. you know if you think about you know <clears throat> Cubs fans. White Sox fans, Bears fans, they're in, they're, they're, they're lifers now, you know, they're, they're in, 
They're going to bleed with the team. They're going to do whatever. They're never going to bail. So there is a passion, which are, it's not exclusive just to Chicago. I mean, I think Boston's the same way. You know, that's a good point. I think you're right. I think that that's a good observation. I think the um, we actually we went out to dinner one night. It was pretty awesome driving through town and seeing everybody out on the sidewalks eating and and I think it was uh, I don't think it was the night before the race. I think it was Friday uh, Friday night and there was a NASCAR NBC dinner at a steakhouse and it was about probably about ten fifteen blocks away from the hotel and driving through the city and just seeing everybody out on a Friday night at, you know, six, seven o'clock. And it's pretty incredible. The city was, was thriving and excited. It just felt, you know, it felt big and it felt, felt like it was, I'm sure it wasn't all NASCAR and, but it just, it just felt cool to be so close. It felt so, it felt really cool and very, very unique for our, our product to be right in the middle of the city, right there while, you know, not 30 miles outside the city, right there. Um, a couple things I saw on social media, and I know this is probably a small group of people, but I wanted to, I wanted to kind of clear something up and look, I haven't talked to any, uh, any people in Daytona officials or anything, but this is just stuff that I've heard and, and rumor and, and conversation. But a lot of people, every time we come to the July 4th weekend, there's a lot of people that um, uh, get nostalgic toward the July race we used to have in Daytona, right? I loved it. It was fun. It was a great tradition to go down there for the July 4th uh, race and, and run in Daytona. And they started the race at 10 o'clock in the morning on July 4th, no matter what day of the week that was, uh, years and years ago. And, uh, and I've had a lot of fun and success there on the beach as a kid, on the track as a driver. But what I've been told is, you know, people are like, yeah, we should, this is, you know, July 4th, we ought to be in Daytona. It's not raining in Daytona today. Uh, Daytona's where we should be racing. And you have to um, think about it like this. So, obviously, I'm sure Daytona and their, you know, the officials there in the city uh, loved having the race there. But now, since the race has been moved off of this big holiday, do you think that anybody in Daytona, that they now have two events on the calendar want to weld them back together. And they don't need NASCAR there in July on the 4th to fill up hotel rooms. The holiday, the July 4th holiday alone does that. And now they have another, you know, weekend later in the year that didn't exist before when NASCAR comes to town to fill their hotel rooms up again. And so, you know, I just don't, I know that, we all have that nostalgia toward Daytona and being, you know, being that July 4th weekend. I just don't never, I just don't ever see that coming back, you know, because. Well, you're saying they don't even want it is what you're I don't think, your point is. I don't, you know, I don't, I, I don't, I don't think they do. I don't think that that you. would be, that's probably not in their best interest to bring the race back to that particular weekend because man, they've got the best, best of both worlds. Now they have NASCAR over here and then they have July 4th over here. Two great weekends that bring in a lot of money for the city. And so to put all that back in the same bowl uh, probably doesn't make, make good sense for them. For them. I mean, I'm sure, listen, I, I, I'm sure that the people that have that opinion, and I might even be one of them, aren't really thinking about the commerce aspects <laughs> to it and all that stuff. I think they just like the nostalgia, which is what you said, by the way. You're, yeah. you're yeah. agreeing with that. So, like, um, 
I liked, I liked it too, dude. I liked it. I, I missed it. We used to have an off weekend that was kind of like the moment where it's like, okay, it felt like NASCAR was saying, all right, everybody, we're at the halfway point. We're going to give you an off weekend, and then we're going to Daytona to start the rest of the year. And it was awesome because we'd go into Daytona early. We'd spend the whole weekend, you know, that off weekend in Daytona having fun. But, you know. We have it. We're far. We're so far removed from it, and I think the city kind of likes yeah. that part. Um, oh, I thought so, you meant we're so far removed from uh, going in a week early and, and party. I, I think we're far removed from that those days too. The three of us. Yeah. We really haven't had the term "ringer" in our sport for a while. Does the street races bring back the term "ringer"? You know what I mean? Because normally you would go to some of these racetracks and have. The boar says them guys, and they could be very competitive. And now we just have our guys have gotten so good at these tracks. Does the street course bring back the ringers? I don't know. It might. Um, I think the street courses certainly would or could. Is there a, are there enough Project Ninety Ones to be you know to to where a guy can get in a competitive car? Um, you know, there was other international and you know, non-NASCAR drivers in the field they that, that were in other cars that didn't run as well. Um, you know, so I, I don't know that – I think that that was like the perfect scenario where um, Shane got in a great race car that was capable of winning and not all cars are capable of winning. And so, you know, can't – I think if you're going to – if I'm an owner in a cup series and I've got an extra car and just sitting there and I'm, I got enough, you know, I got, I can take it to the racetrack, any road course. I don't care if it's a street course, the Glen, I'm calling one of them Australians or one of them New Zealands. Um, I'm calling one of the guys that, yeah, I'm going to call one of those guys that's got to be at supercar experience. Cause that's basically a next gen car in a sense. It's very similar. Um, I think Jensen Button ran with pretty well. I mean, he qualified well and was actually running pretty decent as well. But you're right. I mean, if you have another car there, you call that Cam Water, Scott McLaughlin. Um, those guys, I think, could jump in there and yeah. compete for wins. Hey, who struggled the most? For TJ, from your vantage point, Ampdale's. Like, I mean, I think of several candidates for this award. Um, Noah, Truex, Fountain Tires. Noah had a tough day. Truex was fast until later in the race. But, uh, you know, I thought Truex kind of – Truex would kept getting a little bit offline. And, you know, he'd dip his tire in the wet and slip real big. I couldn't figure that out. It, he wasn't quite as, like, buttoned up on trying to stay in the dry when it was a little treacherous out there before it dried out completely. Um, but, I mean, Truex was fast. You know, he was just pushing his car really hard. But yeah, I mean, there's just guys that go to those races that just struggle, and and uh, that you know that's the way it's been for forever. You know, when we would uh, when I was racing, we'd go to Watkins Glen, and Sterling Marlin, and Schrader, and those guys would get <laughs> in their car for practice, and they would say uh, they'd go run a lap, and they'd come in and go, "Well, I don't think second gear is right. Let's change the transmission." And so they'd take the transmission and change it, and it'd be 45 minutes. They'd go back out there and run a couple laps. Okay, I'm good to go. Practice <laughs> is over. We're, okay, we're ready. And all they were doing 
I work with Sterling. Most of the time, we didn't have any gears left by the end of the first lap. <laughs> all, they were, all they were doing was really just trying to do something to get the crew to do something where they didn't have to go out there and run laps. Um, they came in, they would go into those weekends just like, hey, I'm just going to, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not good enough to win. My car is probably not good. I don't even know what to do with this thing to get it to victory lane. I'm just going to go out there and try not to hit anything or crash and go home. Um, you know, back back in the 2000s and even before that, I mean, you know, teams didn't even have dedicated road course cars sometimes. Um, you know, they were bringing oval cars with, uh, you know, and moving battery boxes and cutting, you know, fuel filler neck holes in the, in the right quarter panel. Um just to get to the racetrack, get through the weekend, get some points and go home. It wasn't, you know, I guess my point is, is like there's some guys that go to those racetracks and they're just, they just know it's going to be a struggle. I was one of them for many years, you know, uh, particularly, I, you know, it was weird. I could run good at the Glen, but I couldn't do it at Sonoma for, you know, to save my life. Um, and so you'd go into those races just going, just, you know, how, how bad is going to be? <laughs> how Russ's get. Um, and I think that there's just guys that, you know, I don't know, you know, they're just, you either, you either got it or you don't, you know, you can't acquire some skill at road courses and you can work hard to try to improve. But sometimes it's just like a, it, you know, it's a skill that's just difficult to develop. Picture this, it's blazing hot outside and you need to head to work. You get into your car and turn on the AC to get the cold air pumping as soon as possible, but it doesn't work. Instead, blowing hot air out of your vents and directly into your face. No, your car doesn't hate you. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the air conditioning system, and there's an easy all-in-one solution that will restore your cold air in no time. There's no need to go to the shop and pay lots of money when you can save time and money recharging yourself with AC Pro Recharge Kits. AC Pro Recharge Kits make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience. And the AC Pro app offers clear, vehicle-specific instructions to help you get the job done in less than 10 minutes. So pick up an AC Pro Recharge Kit at any store selling auto products and confidently restore your car's cold air yourself today. Be a pro with AC Pro. All right, so I think it's time for us to move on to Ask Junior, one of my favorite parts of the show. We're going to get some questions. Andrew Curlin's got them all together. You've been sending these questions into Xfinity Racing on Twitter, and we are thankful to have Xfinity supporting us more than ever because I think we are using every bit of the 10G internet speed that they provide uh, doing this particular Dale Junior download. So, Andrew, you've got the questions ready to go. You got some for me and TJ, I heard. Yes, yes. Uh, we actually had fans just coincidentally submit questions for you and TJ a few weeks ago. I'm like, all right, this is going to be perfect to uh, to bring up this week. <laughs> but this first question is from Jake. Uh, the, some news broke earlier this week. Kip Childress is moving to the executive director position of the Cars Tour. What does it mean to have him on the team? Well, Kip's been a part of NASCAR for so many years and uh, driving the pace car, but many other duties as well. And he's, he's worked in a lot of different uh, roles at various levels of the sport. And he knows he knows the grassroots, short track, late model stock world. 
and has been in that uh, been in that arena many times throughout his career. So, you know, we're looking to try to strengthen our staff and our our approach and our protocols and our ability to go and put on great events. And bringing in somebody like Kip is a uh, is a it's a massive score for us at the Cars Tour. And while Kip's, you know, leaving his long held post at NASCAR, the Cars Tour is moving closer toward NASCAR in terms of being an asset to them, you know. So, you know, Kip's still going to be um, communicating and working with certain people in in the NASCAR um, bubble uh, to make sure that the Cars Tour is being a good asset and a good ally to to, uh, NASCAR as a whole. And obviously, we, you know, we race a late model stock car that, for the most part, is governed by NASCAR, Car Store has its own set of rules, but a lot of those align with NASCAR in a way. We certainly want to be tied together at the hip on safety and all kinds of other things. So Kip's going to be a great um, a great connector in that way to help us bridge you know bridge that line of communication with NASCAR so that you know when people race in the Cars Tour and then they go race at another racetrack that's NASCAR sanctioned. It's, it's a very seamless transition for them and there's not a lot of trouble and challenges. That's definitely going to be a, a big win for you guys. Uh, you know, as mentioned, TJ is in the room, I guess in the other room, but you know, in our little virtual room here, uh, this next question is from Danny F from a few weeks ago. Um, did you guys ever fight on the radio with each other? All time. Uh, yeah. Um, so a little while ago, I think he mentioned, you know, you know, oh, you know, everybody's human and stuff like that. I was going to wonder where that guy was about 15 <laughs> years ago, um, on the radio, because there's a, there's a lot of clips out there on YouTube and stuff where, um, I'm not sure he had that same thought yeah. process back then, but <laughs> now when I was a race car driver, yeah, there was a, yeah, there was some tense times. Driver, man, I had a pretty big EO. Um, and I think that's what, like you get a, you, they give you a uniform, some driving shoes and gloves, a helmet and a big ego to go with it. And, uh, there were times when I would say something to TJ and he would just quit spotting. And, um, so, I mean, he's like, Hey, if you're going to be an asshole, I can just not do this job. You need my help. So don't be mean. Um, because I'm out here trying to help you and save your tail. And so, uh, yeah, there were some times when, I don't know, it was, uh, I was always weird about lap times. I'd go to the racetrack, though, and, and I don't know what a fast lap time is. You know, I've, I've got to, I'd have to look at a sheet and go, okay, okay, this is what the fastest car ran today. Otherwise, I don't know what the hell the fastest lap in practice is. I'm not paying attention to it. I'm just wondering how to get my car to turn or how to get it to push out of it. And he'll be like, man, you ran a 3070. And I'm like, I have no clue what that even means. I don't even know what the... Is that fast? Is that really slow? Am I the best? Am I the worst? And um, it's like PJ assumed that I knew that was either a good or bad lap, and I'd get so annoyed. And I'd be like, what? Well, that was that was Richmond. But I will say, though, from he didn't – from the time he had quit till when that probably happened, things were evolving in the sport more and more as well. And I think that was Richmond, too. And we, we – like – you know, a few years after I was on work with him, we would, I would go into Richmond and I would be trained a certain way. Like, okay, look, we're racing a lap time here. We're not racing the leader right now. We're, we know Richmond's a big tire fall off track. So 
I want to race lap time right now. So if you give me the lap time, that's what I'm going to try to be around every single, every single lap. So I'm programmed to do those type of things at that point when he's coming in from, you know, from before wanting to run, you know, what's want to match the leader and stuff. But, um, you know, it's just different. Um, um, you know, things change a little bit and you, you adapt and, and, and stuff like there that. There were a lot of times though that, um, you know, TJ, uh, we had we had one situation where we were racing and there's a second channel that the crew chief and the spotter communicate on without the driver and the crew chief would go over to that channel to talk to tj and go what the hell's he doing out there what the hell's he doing and <laughs> tj you know always had my back you know he <laughs> If, if he would come tell me, he'd be like, man, you don't want to hear what's going on on channel two, boy. <laughs> it was a rough day. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> now there, there was one time that it, that I remember the crew chief saying we, we had stayed out on tires and we got, yeah. this is many, many, many years ago. And we stayed out on tires and got our doors blown off because we were on 10 lap tires at a high fall off track. And the crew chief come on the, the other radio and said well why don't you just tell them to let everybody go by and i'm like well, dude we're out here like struggling why don't you why don't you key up and tell them yourself and uh i didn't get a response back yeah. from that we were, remember who the crew chief was man we will not said we will not oh, oh. <laughs> you'll not yeah oh That's yeah i do fair enough fair enough sounds like uh and on certain days, both of you guys got got your payday working with each other. But um, <laughs> um, uh, this next question coming from Ryan. You know, Chicago was a big footprint. There weren't a whole lot of golf carts available. Do you know how many steps you guys logged over the course of the weekend here in Chicago? Yeah, that was so funny. I got to tell this story, TJ. So um, everybody knows those commercials. Uh, it's an insurance company that I won't name, but they're uh, where the people are becoming their parents. And the guy, you know, there's this sort of counselor that's sort of helping them understand, hey, you're becoming your parents. You don't have to tell, you know, when you arrive somewhere, you don't have to tell everybody how you got there. Well, I, you know, I took this road. I took that road. I turned on this road. And um, there's, uh, you know, how my Amy likes to hang these signs in the house that have sayings on them. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I think you're becoming your mother hanging up all these signs <laughs> in the house that all these like sassy sayings on them, right? And so, um, anyways, these commercials, they are the funniest commercials. And so we're walking around in, uh, we're walking around in the paddock, you know, with LaTarte and Burton and we're just kind of, you know, we're, it's Friday morning or something and we're, we're hanging out around the track and walking around the track. And in like a 15 minute span, I think Steve LaTarte, he's keeping track of his steps. He just started walking. He just started doing like three, three and a half mile walks a day. And he's keeping track of his steps. Right. And so in like a 15 minute span, he told probably six individuals how many steps he took in the day before. And I was like, Hey, Steve, you don't have to tell every single person you meet how many steps you took yesterday. I don't even know how you're weaving that into every conversation you're having, but it's, but it's probably unnecessary. And, uh, and so we kept messing with him because literally he didn't listen to me and he didn't let up. He didn't, he kept telling, I mean, every person that he walked up to, he's like, oh man, 20, 21,000 steps yesterday. Whew. <laughs> and I'm like, 
hey, Steve, you're becoming your parents. Stop yeah. telling everybody how many steps you took. They don't care about the steps you took yesterday. And it was just so funny. Um, I wonder if, like, as soon as you brought it up, that's when he starts, like, doing it more because he knows think, that you know, you're thinking think about it. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I would say, I mean, the track's 2.2 miles or 2.1 mile racetrack, something like that. Yeah. I bet you – I bet you me and TJ probably did about anywhere from, I don't know, six to eight miles. Yeah. Uh, yeah, probably yeah. in that probably in that vicinity. I mean, it was a lot of walking, but yeah. I, it was okay. It was fine. I mean, I was sitting there thinking, it's good. Yeah, I need to walk. I need some walking. No. Yeah, no, the the park area was cool. I know I, I think I did 13 miles on Saturday. I was feeling it afterwards. Just Saturday. Um, just Saturday. Just, man, maybe I, walked, maybe I walked more than I thought I did. If you, did, if you did 13 just wandering around, what were you doing? Yeah, well, we were walking all over the fan zone, and so right. like, we, weren't, okay. we were kind of walking aimlessly for 13 miles. But, um, wow. yeah, no, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was a cool setup, though. Um, this next question. Wait, 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 Andrew, how many steps is 13? Yeah, how many steps? Latart's going to want to know how many steps uh, How many I'd steps did you take? take? I probably have Latart beat on Saturday. Uh, 23, 24,000. Wow. Okay. So he, he did 21 on Thursday or Friday. We needed you to stop his, uh, yeah. stop him. All right. We'll move on. This next question comes from Higgy. Uh, he wants to know if you ever got your Chicago style hot dog or pizza over the weekend. I did. I, I ate some, uh, I did not get a hot dog, but we got some deep dish pizza, uh, on the plane for the ride home. So... Uh, yeah, I definitely got a, got a slice of that. And, um, but you know, I would, I really want to go and get that, get that experience, uh, and have that in one of those, you know, one of the more famous restaurants that, that serves some of the best deep dish pizza. I like thin crust, like thin crust is my favorite, but when, when in Rome, right. So when, in, you know, if you're going to do it, do it their way. And so I'd like to, I still feel like I need to have that experience. TJ, do you eating? I did not. I um, yeah. <laughs> I watched you have your deep dish pizza, and uh, I will say that he tried to eat a he did eat a salad before he dove into the pizza. I was just so salad, yeah. like, well, he did have some self restraint. It was good. <laughs> Got to have some. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, we were asking fans like about you know the Chicago style hot dog. I think I would. I think mustard would keep me away from doing that. I don't know how you guys feel about uh. How about like the toppings on a Chicago style dog. I'm not a mustard guy. I've just never been. Yeah. But the ketchup's a big no no, you know, with the Chicago style dog. Yeah. So as long as you don't have ketchup on your hot dog, you're uh you're good to go. Um this next one's from Adidia and this this can go both for you, Dale and TJ. How much can you learn from a track walk? You know, you mentioned walking the track with the drivers this week. What are you guys looking for in terms of scouting out the track before a race, especially a new track like Chicago? I think you can learn a tremendous amount because you're, you know, the, the pace of walking around the track allows you the time to, you know, really see some detail cracks in the racetrack <clears throat> change in surface, uh, you know, where these little knots on the wall might be that stick out that could catch the car that we saw a couple guys have trouble with in practice and in the race. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, you, when you, if you go out there in a pace car or even your own race car, you're going to not see some of those imperfections up close 
you're not going to take the minute to really appreciate some of the challenges where a track walk can give you a chance. Plus, I think, you know, you're, you're walking with other people that are also seeing other things and seeing it differently. So it's an opportunity to, to listen to and, and see what other people are thinking about a certain particular corner or whatever. And so, uh, when we saw the, a great example of this is when we saw the aerials and everything and they're like, Hey, we're going to put you in turn four. I'm thinking, man, long straight away, they're going to be coming through turn three wide open and then have to hammer the brakes and slow down and go into this really, really tiny tight. It goes from five lanes to two and a half lanes into turn four. This is going to be chaos. They're going to be crashing. They're going to be all wedging in there trying to, to put too many cars into this space and they're going to wear out the brakes and it's just going to, they're going to lock them up. They're going to spin. They're going to hit the tire barrier. Just all kinds of chaos down here. But when I got on the racetrack and got to looking at it, I'm like, nope, this is a fast corner. This is not a slow corner. They're, they're back. They, and when I was standing on my perch looking down, they're going right by me. They're back to the throttle right at the apex. So like, they're like, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're in the brake some slowing down for that turn four, but really it was a fluid motion of going through four, five and out the exit down the other straightaway. It wasn't, there was never this sort of stop go. Um, that I was expecting. And so a track walk is where you learn those type of things. It's like, you know, this is not a 90 degree corner, it's an elbow. And so we can kind of cruise through here. And actually turn five was a slower corner of the whole sequence, right? Where they would downshift the first gear sometimes. So pretty, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you know, looking at a aerial, you're not going to pick those things up. Yeah, I agree with them. You can gain a lot walk on the track as well. Um, especially if you go out there, you walk with the driver. You, I do a lot of sim stuff, so correlating that stuff with what we see in the sim, and like he said, you know, I I knew the nine, I knew four wasn't going to be a nine degree corner because how many laps I've turned there and, and and seen in the sim, and it's very fluid. Like there's a, it's a tough braking zone. It was it was rough. Um, you had to judge your speed getting to the wall on the left. There was a lot of things that are drivers. It's a very challenging corner of the track too, but. Um, walking it and actually seeing it and putting it in perspective definitely gives you a much better visual and understanding of what each corner really is. I find that so interesting that your perception can change just by going down and seeing it for yourself in person. Dale, like you said, like your your perception of turn four completely was different after seeing it. Uh, we got we got time for one more question here, uh, coming from Paul. What's the craziest thing uh, both of you guys have caught fishing? A gar, I caught a gar fish Ooh. one time. I actually made this. Mm. I made the Statesville paper. Um, so I lassoed this fish. I didn't actually catch it. Um, <laughs> me and I was, I was, yeah. I'm gonna, like, say, I'm gonna tell you about it. So like, I'm in this boat and I'm fishing with uh, with a buddy of mine that was a, a highway state patrolman, and so we're we're on the boat <clears throat> fishing. And he's like, look, man, there's a garfish swimming right along beside the boat. And we're fishing for crappy. And so I'm, 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 this garfish is just hanging out right next to the boat. We're just trolling around in this cove. And so I changed a bunch of lures on my rod, and, and the garfish wasn't interested in none, none of it. And so I put a big hook on the line, and I dropped the hook next to the fish. And then I really quickly stuck the end of the fishing rod 
in the water under the fish to wrap the line around the fish, right? And then I yanked up on the fishing line and it basically shoved that hook into the side of the fish, <clears throat> yanked him up in the boat. It's probably about a foot and a half long, maybe two foot long, this gar. I mean, the, 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 a gar fish has like six to eight inches of a big long beak and it's all teeth. It's sharp, sharp teeth. And so, um, we got him in the boat and put him in the live well and I had him mounted and I still have that somewhere. Um, some storage building, but the patrolman went to the, the newspaper and, uh, had them write a story about it. I was like 15 years old when this happened. <clears throat> so, uh, that was, uh, I guess, you know, you, I don't think you, nobody fishes for garfish. I never even heard of one and I haven't seen one since, but <clears throat> they're pretty unique looking. They look like, um, they're pretty scary looking to be honest with you. <clears throat> But they don't. They won't bother you. I don't think. I think the um, the craziest thing that I caught was actually you were on the boat with me. We were out. We went out in Key West, and first thing I'd ever caught out of the ocean. I'm reeling this thing up, and I pull it up out of the water, and it's an eel. So um, that was probably <laughs> the scariest thing that I've ever caught as well. And I mean, you can't just grab on them and take them off the hook either. So it was. Uh, I, it yeah. was, um, I wasn't touching it. Yeah, we, that was a fun trip. It's always fun going out there and fishing down in the Keys, man. Key West is the best. I didn't even know you could lasso fish. It is. That was, your, I didn't that was a new thing. Dude, I was going to try. This thing was just sitting there letting me think and plan and, ta- you know, <laughs> and and I was like, here, this is how we're going to do it. We'll see if this will work. <laughs> but it was, um, it was interesting. I, um, I'm not big on fishing. I don't like, like Truex would fish every day if he could. And, uh, I just kind of like going every once in a while, but, um, so I probably, that's probably, I probably won't catch anything like that ever, ever again. I don't fish enough. Yeah. You might as well like, yeah, you got the best story. Like there's probably not a whole lot that tops it, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's a, that's a, we had a good ass junior this week. TJ, thanks for joining us. I appreciate it, man. Thanks. Appreciate you coming on, TJ. Um, good job, Andrew. Appreciate everybody uh, sending in those questions to Xfinity Racing on Twitter. And thank you to Xfinity for everything you do, uh, supporting the Dale Jr. Download and uh, giving us uh, internet uh, to be able to do all these amazing things um, on on our uh, on our platform. So appreciate everybody tuning in. It's a great show. It's a lot of fun. TJ and uh, vacation time with TJ is coming to an end. TJ's going home today and then I'm going to get ready and go to Atlanta for the race weekend. I'll see you there, TJ. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll have a lot of fun uh, watching them duke it out around that big old racetrack. It's pretty spectacular uh, with the reconfigure. Uh, hope everybody enjoyed all of our podcasts this week. Go Rumper Clear, Dell Jr. Download, Dirty Mo Doe. Um, it's been uh, it's been a fun week. I'm ready to get back to the racetrack. It has. I am too. All right. We'll see y'all there. Take it easy. Check out check, check, check out Dirty Mo Media. Check out Dirty Mo Media. Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram. <laughs>